What is up, everyone? Pete Forsey, the podcast, coming back at you here before the end of the week. I didn't want to miss two straight weeks. Last time we talked, Tyreek Hill still hadn't been suspended. I'm going to touch on that very briefly. Okay, I, uh, I let my thoughts be known immediately after that, but I just, for those that missed it, I want you to know where I stand. Biggest thing we're going to talk about, trade deadline. I think uh, I think this was a good trade deadline to uh, shed some light on some things that people uh, are failing to understand or maybe the media is failing to uh, apprise us of. And then I'm also going to get into specifically some of the trades that I like that I did not like. I'm also going to talk Zeke Elliott and Jerry Jones. They're headed for a stare down. I don't think it's going to get ugly. I actually have a potential resolution for the Cowboys for Elliott uh, and Dak Prescott tied into that as well. I'm going to talk about Odell and GQ, something that he said that I loved. I loved what Odell said at the end of his GQ article. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about the Hall of Fame game because football is back, baby. This podcast is going to be put into high gear here soon. Come the regular season, I'm going to be giving in future podcasts some of my predictions on the regular season. But before that, we get to episode 25 of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have to start with the breaking news, though, that we have here. Tom Brady, age 42, just had celebrated his 42nd birthday yesterday, August 3rd. Here on Sunday, August 4th, he gets a contract extension. Two more years in New England, potentially. The way I look at it, it looks like it's just adding money to this year. And uh, But yeah, three years of uh, $70 million potentially, with the $8 million tacked onto his existing $15 million salary for 2019. Um, you know, first thing to clear up here, is the fact that Brady always takes a pay cut, and that's an advantage to New England. Well, you're right that he has in recent years. It started in 2013 after a championship conference championship loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Robert Kraft on the plane tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, Tom, we need to talk. It's about your contract. It's about fielding a competitive team to get to that next Super Bowl, okay? We think you need to take some less money for that to happen. They had a conversation. Tom said, no problem. A restructure came later on, and that was just after 2011 when he signed a new four-year deal. So, you know, this idea that he's always had, uh, you know, taken a discount for New England, you know, you're right, for part of his career. Up until 2013, no, he was paid amongst the top guys relative to the salary cap. And that's the thing even now about this new deal. Not all the terms have come out yet. But all that matters is the cap. It doesn't matter about average annual value. And, we don't, again, we don't have all the terms here left out, but from 13 to 18, relative to that cap, Tom Brady was taking a massive pay cut. A massive pay cut. So that that's just something new. But, you know, it just got me thinking about um, – some of the things in the past, Seth Wickersham, January 2018, coming out with the pay, uh, with the piece uh, trying to portray New England and Tom Brady and all the higher-ups there, Belichick, Kraft, everyone involved, saying that basically the relationship has frayed. And it's just like, dude, no, it hasn't. Since that article came out, they've gone to two straight Super Bowls, won one of them. And Brady has given nothing but glowing remarks to his coach. Yeah, sometimes he's elected to plead the fifth. Yeah, I remember that. I, I remember that uh, comment. But he's never said anything to hint that this isn't working. I mean, just what a dumb piece by him. I said it the night before 
I said it after reading it twice. I said Seth Wickersham has had an agenda against the Patriots and Tom Brady before this article came out. Not only that, there were some things that were falsely reported in that article. Tom Brady locking out Jimmy Garoppolo from uh, from the TB12 Center. Yeah, Garoppolo himself said that didn't happen. Robert Kraft mandating to Belichick that he trade Garoppolo. Wickersham walked back that comment the next day. Look, I'm not saying it's you know wholly untrue. I think there's some things in there that certainly are plausible and stuff that I believe. But I said from the beginning, the guy that writes a damaging piece about the TB12 method Seth Wickersham, he wrote that like four months before coming out with this piece. I said, yeah, it's probably not going to be, it's not going to really be in uh, Tom's corner, is it? He's the one that broke the story about uh, Spygate, or excuse me, he he had the investigative piece on Spygate. Seth Wickersham has had it out for the Patriots from the beginning, and look how dumb does he look now. Tom Brady's signing an extension. They want him around longer. They gave him an extra eight mil this year. And they, they have one of the best rosters, top to bottom, heading into 2019. It's it's funny some of the things that, you know, th- that is said uh, about how this guy plays. He's done nothing but been the, the perfect player, the most responsible teammate, and uh, now he's getting his due. Tom Brady, contract extension, potentially two more years in New England. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I feel compelled to do it because last time I recorded... I had predicted that it would be uh, announced the next day, which it was. I predicted 4 p.m. in the afternoon. However, it was in the morning. The NFL usually likes to do business in the afternoon. But Tyreek Hill will not be suspended by the NFL and Roger Goodell. The Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver will play week one, and there are no consequences for anything that uh, was brought to light over the offseason. My first thing. I don't care about consistency. I don't care about Preston. That's a common thing amongst, you know, writers and the public. I don't care about consistent application necessary. I mean, I do, but, you know, that that's kind of a loose, uh, loose interpretation there. What I care about is getting it right. The only way I know if we've gotten it right is by understanding what the NFL constitutes as across the line and not across the line. And that's why I was very up in arms about this one, okay? I made an Instagram video about it. It pretty much sums up all my thoughts there, but if you hadn't seen it, uh, if you didn't see it, I'll talk about it right now. Again, consistency, not my thing. Preston, not my thing. Get it right. And when I heard that Jimmy Smith last year was suspended four games for not putting his hands on his girlfriend, but being physically imposing for making threats. And he was, you know, damaged or excuse me, he was suspended for four games. I said, okay, Tyreek, he did that. You need to be afraid of me too. Everyone knows the word. That's a threat. I don't know how it could be seen as anything other than that. So when you tie that in, and I don't know why Roger Goodell wouldn't have tied this in. The 2014 case in which he pled guilty to punching his girlfriend who was pregnant in the stomach. How that does not become active, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm 
Now I'm very lost. It really doesn't make any sense. If you want to tell me that you cannot say for sure that, you know, he hurt his child, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. We cannot prove that he, you know, he abused his child. I said earlier in the podcast, do I think I did it? If you're just asking me straight up, Pete, do you think he did it? You know, if you had to answer, I, I would say yes. But we're talking about, you know, adjudicating here. I can understand why the NFL can't do that. But the threat, you have the audio. You know he pled guilty. His own uh, lawyer called the threat unacceptable. So, yeah, I'm officially as lost as anybody else. Before this, you know, the Greg Hardys, uh, the Ezekiel Elliott's, um, gosh, I mean, anyone who's been tied to domestic violence, whether they were charged or not and has been suspended, a lot of people have gotten upset about the way the suspensions have gone. I, Up to this point, I haven't been that upset with anyone, uh, any one of them more than the other. Because I said, okay, I'm just I'm gathering what is across the line and what is not. But now I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I kind of there with everybody else because I don't know how, it, you know, the that would not be a threat seen in the eyes of the NFL. I don't know how they would interpret it any differently. Uh, but here we are. Chiefs offense just got very very dangerous. You got two absolute burners. You got Travis Kelsey, Yak God. Um, you know, you got a running back. I think that, you know, Damian Williams, he'll do all right. But obviously, you got Patrick Mahomes. This is going to be a very scary offense with both of those guys in there. Um, but the rest of us are lost, have lost as to what to think the next time one of these suspensions comes around. All right, let's get to the trade deadline where I guess I should start talking about buyers and sellers, contenders and tankers, build versus rebuild, all these stupid freaking labels that reporters, writers, TV talk heads want us to believe. And look, I understand. It's not that I don't ever use them, but they're just not always the case with how we're trying to identify a team. And this trade deadline was beautiful for that. A lot of people were underwhelmed by this trade deadline. I loved it. I really did. I was very okay with the headline names not getting moved. The best players not going anywhere. Staying put. Madison Bumgarner, good. Noah Syndergaard, good. Whit Merrifield, good. Totally fine with it. Because you know what it does? It brings to light all these misnomers that are out there. Folks, there is only one label to throw around on each and every team, and that is this. Dealers. Everybody is a dealer. We always get caught up in, oh, well, they're buying... Yeah, they're, they're in first place. They're definitely going to try and add New York Yankees. Man, they definitely want another starter. They are buying. Oh, wait. Yeah, they they didn't pick up anyone. They didn't match the price for Wheeler. They, they didn't match the price for Grinky because they didn't have the prospect. You know what they did? They were out to make deals. St. Louis Cardinals, what Wheeler, he's out there to be bought. I mean, they must be buying. They talked about 2019. This is the year. Look at this roster for just that, 2019. That's what Mazalek said. They're not going to do, do anything stupid. This is an this is an organization. This is an a this is a business. Everybody is out to be smart. 
don't always look at it as black and white. Don't always look at it as, well, a team is in contention or they're not. Madison Bumgarner was held on to. Why? Because it wasn't smart to trade him away. No one was going to pay for anything above a comp pick or equal to a comp pick. So they said, yeah, we'll, we'll hold on to him. We'll give him the comp pick and potentially re-sign him. Zach Wheeler with the Mets, same deal. You, we got to stop looking at it as, you know, in this yes-no proposition. You're either trying to win or you're not. I know that's been, like, you know, glorified. Everyone's got this syndrome from the Astros, from the Cubs, because that's what they did. And I always remind people, you know what those organizations have? Hall of Fame executives. Not everybody goes that route. Not everybody says we're just going to concede for five seasons. Every every deal we make is going to be with the future as the priority. That's what the Astros did. That's what the Cubs did. And I understand that that's popular. That's easy to understand. But it's not always the case with how organizations are run. Look at the White Sox. I think the White Sox, I'm watching them now. I got it on the background. Bryce is coming up in a 9-3 game. Sox over the Phillies at Citizens Bank. I think the Sox are going to be pretty good next year. You get a few. You get some pieces to fortify, like the outfield. Bullpen's actually all right. A little more offense. I I think they could be pretty good. And we're looking at like three years, three years where they they were not good. This year they're okay. I wouldn't even call them bad. We got we got to put away these labels. I think this deadline was great. I think this deadline did have some movement where some teams got better. And I think we will continue to see this where it's not always cut and dry. Buy, sell contend tank build or rebuild now that i got that out of the way because that just infuriates me to no end ken rosenthal who i love writer for the athletic does stuff for fox sports on television he's been the most guilty and as much as i love him and respect his uh writing uh prowess and just you know his, his credibility with reporting and everything he's kind of taken me off with the way he's uh basically uh I don't know, conform to the to modern media. And th- I understand, hey, making money and getting people to to like what you do, but I also understand being a sellout. And I, I like Ken Rosenthal, but he appears to be a bit of a sellout here lately. But getting back to the actual stuff that happened, all right, I actually want to talk about the trades and what I think about all of them because there, w- there were some out there that were good, There were some out there that were bad, and because I'm me, I'm going to start with a bad. Trevor Bauer, Cincinnati Reds. What the actual fuck? That was the dumbest move ever. The Cincinnati Reds, I get it. You're tired of losing, okay? And I applaud people who always try to to make a deal to try and win because it is smart to think about the future, okay? And I just got done talking about deals. That's all you ever want to make is deals, but this is just silly. You overpaid for a guy who's not even an ace. You desperate, desperately wanted a front-line pitcher on your staff, and you didn't even get an ace. Like, I, I would have given up Taylor Tram- Trammell if I was getting Zach Greinke. Obviously, would have taken more than that because Greinke's, uh he, he is an ace, and he's under control for three more years. But you got Trevor Bauer. I mean, doggone it. He's a, he's a good pitcher, but... What you gave up was one of the best talents in the minor leagues. Trammell is a beast. He's having a poor year. But talent is going to win out, okay? He's like, I think he's like 20 years old. You gave him to the Padres, who, by the way, just still are accumulating 
high-end, high-ceiling uh, talent. That's all A.J. Preller does over there with the Padres. All he freaking does is get talent. And the more time, the more you accumulate, the more you're going to potentially hit. And I get that with small market San Diego, just shooting for the stars, trying to hit home runs in the uh, upstairs in the negotiating table, at the negotiating table. I totally get that. And then the Indians, oh my God, I, I was telling him to hold on to Bauer because he's too important to this team, to this 2019 Indians team. But then they found someone dumb enough. Apparently, Nick Crow, who uh, who's now the general manager over there in Cincinnati, apparently he doesn't have any pull because Dick Williams and Walt Jockety are still running things like it's 2008. I mean, this was just the most old-school, out-of-touch move that I've seen since probably Shelby Miller. This is what this is going to turn into, I think. Maybe sh- it's not going to be bad like Shelby Miller, like he flamed out completely like I mean he's now getting like DFA'd and going from like the Rangers to the Brewers and whatnot Bauer's not going to be that but it's going to have like comparison to impact that's what this this is going to be I mean Taylor Trammell isn't is going to be an excellent player and then the Indians probably were prepared to be like yeah we're just hanging on to Bauer and then we're like oh my gosh Really, we, we can swing a three-way trade where we get Puig, where we get Logan Allen, uh, where we get that lefty reliever named Scott, um, and, and then Fran Mill Reyes. We need an outfielder, and you know he hits bombs, and he, he probably be a rotational bat at some point, but he helps this 19 team. Yeah, the Indians make that. They're like, yeah, take him. Take Bauer. We got Bieber coming back. We got Clevenger. Klubot will be here at some point. Oh my! I mean, this this was just silly. I I couldn't initially. I was like breaking this all down. I was like, okay, Bauer over there, and then so and so here, and I'm just like, you know, mapping it all out. And then I realized, oh my God, that's all the Reds got. All they got was Bauer. So I I give this, I give this an F for the Reds. I give this a, uh, I give it a B. I give it an A minus for the for the Padres. And I give an A plus for for the Indians. Okay, great trade there. Okay, the non-trade that went down, Madison Bumgarner. Again, doesn't make sense. You're not going to get more than a comp pick. Don't trade him. Hand it to him if he accepts. Great, one more year, Mad Bum. He'll likely be seeking a free agency though, and maybe he stays with you. Thor, that was never freaking happening. It was never happening. He has two more years tied to the Mets with control, and he isn't pitching his best. And the Mets are going to try to out-leverage, basically sell him on his on his heyday, 2015-16. But he's not pitching like that. Okay, why would teams give in to that? Because the leverage that the receiving team has, say like the Astros, the Twins, the Brewers, is we're going to make him a better pitcher because we're smarter. The Mets are one of the most old-school run organizations out there, along with the San Francisco Giants. The Mets have a very, very small R&D department. So I, I never expected him to uh, to get traded. I don't blame uh, Brody Van Wagen for at least trying, but ultimately it was never going to happen. Stroman to the Mets, hey, I you know I kind of like it. I like it. I don't get necessarily the Blue Jays wanting to trade him so badly. I know they got a good pitcher in Anthony Kay from the Mets, who's at AAA. But you know I would have been I would have been happy extending Marcus Stroman. I don't necessarily know why they wanted to get. A younger pitcher with that control, um, you have the money to pay. So just, I mean, pay it. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's a situation where you're um, 
the value is not the same as between Strowman's agent and the Blue Jays. Uh, that was a head-scratcher. I mean, they got good pieces in return. It just, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. Um, we also had Zach Gallen, former Cardinal, go to the Marlins. He was on the Marlins. He went to the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks had a very good deadline, by the way. They got some very good pieces to add for their future teams, and they're just kind of like, you know, wheeling and dealing all day long. Um, so I, I think they could be a very uh, well-balanced club in 2020. Whit Merrifield, this was never happening. That's why it didn't. Whit Merrifield is too valuable to the Royals. He's making like, what, 16 mil over the next four years. He can play about four or five different positions. He can bat anywhere in the lineup, and he has power. Yeah, I think at $4 million a year for the Royals, I wouldn't give – it would have to be stupid – it would have to be to the moon, which who is going to offer the moon? I don't think anyone is dumb enough nowadays. Maybe Dick Williams and the Cincinnati Reds. Maybe. No one is dumb enough nowadays to offer a package that the Royals would accept to trade with Merrifield. That's why he's with Kansas City. He's going to be with Kansas City on their next wave of high competitive clubs. Um, a few more here. Oh, yeah, freaking Astros, okay? So, yeah, they, they're probably going to win the World Series. I mean, I don't see how it's not L.A., Houston again, which I would love a rematch. Contrary to a lot of people, I love rematches, and I love seeing just, I I don't know, I, I, I like seeing the sustained success from clubs and uh, seeing how it is eventually they're, they're going to be taken down by another team. So I, I really wouldn't mind seeing another Astros-Dodgers series again. And the way they just retooled their team. Um, they got Zach Ranke, worth $34 million a year. Uh, he is an ace. Um, I think he's going to pitch well into his deep uh, 30s. I mean, he's I think he's like 35 right now. Yeah, he's got three years left, 36, 37, 38. He's going to be well worth it. This is great because Garrett Cole's going to walk, probably go to the Angels. And then they added Aaron Sanchez just for a bag of peanuts. They sent over Derek Fisher for him and Joe Biggiani. This, this, I mean, Joe Biggiani is so great for their club this year in the back end of the bullpen. They just combined for a no-hitter last night. I was watching that. And Aaron Sanchez, I mean, this guy's electric. The problem that he had, I tweeted out yesterday, is just the baseball. The baseball has caused all his injuries to his fingers and then to his blisters. With all the talk of the baseball potentially changing or at least having to visit change potentially, I, I think that's great for uh, Aaron Sanchez. The guy's 26 He's on a team that's going to help him uh, approach the game a little bit better, which, you know, the the, uh, the Blue Jays are nothing to sniff at. they got a lot of smart people in there, Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins. But, I mean, yeah, the Astros just got very, very good. They got Martin Malinato back from the Cubbies, and their club's ready to go, and it's going to be hard to, uh, to beat them in a seven-game series, all right? So if they don't get knocked out in the first round at this point with the way I see the club, they're going to be going to the World Series, and they're going to be the favorite to win it. Secondly, going back to the Cubbies, yeah, I mean, they got their team better. They got Nick Castellanos. That's a good uh, bat to add down the stretch. They just lost Wilson Contreras last uh, yesterday evening. He, uh, he's he got a hammy that he pulled uh, against the Brewers on Saturday. So they may be reluctant that they just traded Mar Martin Malinato. But at the time, you know, uh, Contreras is having, you know, a, a – uh, a career season, so I, I could understand that. But so they might add Jonathan Lucroy, 
Um, they added Tony Kemp, who is definitely going to be a weapon as far as defensive substitution and on the base pass and critical moments in October. They improved their club as well. I think uh, I think other teams that improved, the Phillies, they did what – I think they restrained themselves. They could have gone out and made a bigger move to add a starting pitcher, but going with Jason Vargas, that's good. That's a move that, I mean, the Cardinals could have potentially made, but I think they were looking at more of an impact just because they thought they probably had Jason Vargas at their lower-level systems, essentially, so why go out and add another guy like that? They were looking for a high-impact guy. The Phillies, this was good for them, okay? Your depth in the minor leagues, it's not as good as it once was. It's not as rich. I think this is smart. You can pick up the option potentially for next year, um, especially with Arietta, kind of a cloudy outlook here for the rest of the year i'm watching the phillies now nishek is in it is a 2-1 count he is set boom fouled off okay yeah so good trade deadline this year um i was fine with it i don't need all the headline names i think it was a week pending free agent class and this was uh this wasn't a total surprise but it's just a nice reminder remember everybody's making deals here nobody's buying nobody's selling This is baseball. This is business. Let's be smart. Hall of Fame game was this past Thursday, and boy, was I jacked for it. Football was back. NFL. Back in action. Broncos. Falcons. You had Vic Fangio making his debut. He almost didn't because he had, what, a kidney thing going on? That must have been scary. And then you got the Falcons, a team that's definitely going to be bouncing back. Okay, Their season was just drowned last year by, by week two. I mean, they, they, both their safeties were out. Um, they had a defensive lineman missing. Um, there was another – I mean, they had like four starters out within the first four weeks, and it's just like, yeah, season's over. Doesn't matter how good you are. You have four starters all missing time. Yeah, that's probably going to sink a season. That's a, that's a quarter of the year. And they battled their butts off. Matt Ryan still had an excellent season. This guy's really turned into one of the more valu- most valuable quarterbacks in the league. He's got an MVP. Um but anyway, yeah, Hall of Fame game was back. I was pumped. I was juiced. I was watching it on the train, on my phone, on the way home from work. And then I didn't care about it at all. And it, this happens every year. I'm hype. I'm ready for football. I'm ready to listen to Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, NBC. And then I realized there's just nothing here for me. And the most Hall of Fame play happens. My bet, my bet for the most Hall of Fame play ever was the pop-up interception. You know when the quarterback throws it over the middle to the undrafted wide receiver, it hits off his breastplate, and the safety comes in, hits him on the side or, or, or in the back, and the ball just pops up straight in the air, and then it comes. people, you know, huddle beneath it, and then someone comes down for it for an interception. Uh, or, or the team uh, on offense catches it for, you know, a very just fortuitous gain of 11 yards. But instead, the most Hall of Fame play ever was when there was a muff punt by the Falcons and it extended a drive that was very porous for Drew Locke and his Broncos. So Drew Locke, you know, got to stay on the field. And that was really my whole reason for watching thereafter. I was ready to just stop. But I was like, you know, I want to watch Drew Locke. I want to see how he does. Maybe he makes a play here and there. But he didn't. And neither did the Broncos. Um, There's just not much you can take from this game. Now, I wouldn't throw him out there if I were the Broncos if there was nothing to take away from it, okay? And I agree with them playing Drew Locke in this game. Pretty much any first-round pick, or excuse me, if you're not a first-round pick, you should be playing in this game if you're you're a rookie. And Drew Locke was, 
I want to get them in a competitive setting. All right, the pads are on. There are bodies coming at you. You're tackling. You got the uh, you got the Broncos uh, decal on your helmet. It's an NFL game. I want you to get your feet wet, and so the next time you can actually hopefully take some strides. And you got a, a few of the jitters out. So I, I understand it. But from the play, I mean, just not a whole lot. I mean, he he was trying to keep his eyes up, uh, which he I actually thought was a strength in college, keeping his eyes up and you know trying to see the field. But, you know, he was just running for his life. Probably four of those five linemen that I was watching on the Broncos, I mean, they're going to be street-free agents, all four of them, come October. I mean, it was just that pitiful. When you're running for your life, I can't really break down, you know, your play as a quarterback. So, Drew Locke, you know, I think he, uh, I think he was trying to play the best he could, but really, just like a lot of quarterbacks in this game, you know, the environment took over and he said, I'm going to get killed if I just don't worry about myself first. So just uh, not a good day for the Broncos overall in offense, not a good day for Drew overall in offense. Um, and just like every year, the Hall of Fame game, I was happy to be watching it. However, it, uh, it, it, it grew stale on me pretty quickly. The one thing I will say for the Hall of Fame game, however, and it just really is just sparking a reminder to me is we had our first pass interference be reviewed something that would not have been reviewed earlier uh, under the old rules. Because as you remember, one of our first episodes here on this podcast was the Rams and the Saints debating pass interference. What needs to happen so this doesn't happen again? Because it it was just a tragedy for so many people. Outside of New Orleans, I don't know why so many people were upset about this. People just cannot live with imperfect uh, circumstances in sports nowadays. I guess it's just because we have too much data we have too much replay, frame by frame. For some reason, we do not like the imperfections of sport anymore. I think we all need to just get a get a grip on what this is, after all. It's sports, okay? We don't need to purify it. But going back to, you know, the rules itself, I look, you're swapping out one set of problems with another, and it wasn't an issue in the Hall of Fame game, but I'm just imagining September, Okay. September 24th or whatever the first or third Sunday in September is there's going to be a crucial third and seven and a wide receiver is going to be running up the sideline it's going to be tight coverage from the cornerback quarterback passes the ball wide receiver realizes he does not have a shot at catching it but it is tight coverage so he's just going to flop on the grass wide receivers pass catchers they're going to start flopping they're going to start trying to draw penalties. It's going to be the NBA. And I don't think anybody likes that part of the NBA. I think they've cleaned it up a bit from what I can tell. But I do not want that to infiltrate into the National Football League. Secondly, the whole clear and obvious part of the rule. I mean, that's subjective in and of itself. Clear and obvious to me does may not be clear and obvious to you know Joe. Clear and obvious also doesn't have anything to do with the egregiousness egregiousness of the penalty or the level of the penalty. How bad of interference does it have to be to to be reviewed and then uh, a call overturned or changed? Maybe it's clear and obvious. Yeah, he was interfered with, but not all that much. Do we really want that to get changed in a you know in a crucial part of the game or even not not a crucial part? I really don't like this rule, man. I really don't. I mean, it's an experimentation, and maybe this one has a better chance of holding up as just that, an experimentation. But most of these rules, you know, they stay they stay on board after that one year, after that one-year proposal. Uh, 
you know, I just I had it running through my mind during the Hall of Fame game. There's going to be calls that go against teams that it's you know it's going to be ticky tack because it's overturned uh, after the fact upon further review, which I, I'll live with it either way. I just want it to be consistent by the officials, but you're putting more interpretation on their plate, which I thought was exactly what everyone wanted to avoid. It gets a little bit better with the Dallas Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott. He continues to hold out. He's down in Mexico, and apparently he's training. Ian Rappaport says with NFL players, which I don't know how that makes sense because NFL players are in training camp, Ian, so he's either practicing with some has-beens, um, some guys that didn't make teams, college buddies, whoever, which I probably, you know, superb athletes. I'm just saying he's not practicing with NFL players because uh, they're they're at their actual practice. So, Ezekiel Elliott, still a no-show. Jerry Jones kind of... Earlier in the week, he kind of, you know, let it be known. Hey, Zeke, I love you. I've had your back. I was kind of expecting you to, uh, to to fall in line here with what I've done. But, you know, now you're not. And it's okay. I get it. Business is business. Emmett Smith did the same thing. But remember, Emmett was the first guy to win a rushing title on a Super Bowl team. He was pretty much letting it be known. Look, man. At the end of the road, at the at the end of the day, I will do what I have to do. I don't want it to get there. I don't because I like you, Zeke. I think you're a hell of a talent. Probably gonna wear a gold jacket one day. He he's got that type of talent. But in the end, I can I can replace you. I can find a different way to to have a successful running game. I would just like to have you because it's easier to to build. It's easier to build a rushing attack with someone like you. But I do expect you to understand what being a Dallas Cowboy means. Maybe Stephen Jones, maybe my son Stephen, this is Jerry talking, maybe my son Stephen shouldn't have said you were the straw that stirs the drink. Because it looks like your agent is uh, using that as leverage. I think Stephen said that, you know, earlier in the spring. And, you know, he was saying that thinking that Zeke would act in good faith here. And he hasn't. And look, I'm not knocking either side here, but these two are definitely going into a stare down here. I think ultimately the Cowboys get something done. I think that one of those six-year deals that they've been known to do, the New Orleans Saints have kind of done this a little bit, but nobody more than the Dallas Cowboys. They hand out those big long-term deals. Tyron Smith got a 10-year deal. Sean Lee got a six-year deal once. Tony Romo got a six-year deal. There's not many players in the NFL that get six years. They're typically always quarterbacks, but the Cowboys hand out the most six-year deals to non-quarterbacks. I wouldn't be surprised if Zeke is the next one for cap purposes. In addition to Zeke just turned 24, I want to say. He's entering his 24 season, so really six years, turns 30. That's always been the, uh, you know, the, the red flag number as far as age in the NFL. Would not be surprised if they get something done. However... They won't hit all the uh, the records in, in as far as average annual value, total value, guarantees. I think he matches guarantees. I think he does. I don't know about total value. I tweeted it out earlier in the week. I think it's going to be a situation where they, they get uh, they get the practical guarantees, but the years are going to be there, and they're going to look at it and say, "Hey, look, I mean, you are 24. You still got a lot of tread left on the tires." In addition. Look at everything that comes with being a Dallas Cowboy. Look at all the endorsement opportunities. Look at all that Dallas, Texas offers. I think something gets done. 
I think there's going to be there's you know all the, all this is connected after all. I think a lot of this also has to do with Dak Prescott. And there's been a few people. I know um, Michael Lombardi has said this. He says that they just need to hand them a, a almost fully guaranteed contract. That's like four years, a Kirk Cousins type of situation, which I, I threw that out earlier almost. It wasn't fully guaranteed, but I said five years, 120, 91 guaranteed, pr- practically all of it. And that keeps, you know, an, an AAV at 24. So then you're looking at the uh, the total guarantees. Uh, you're looking at a very reasonable signing bonus. Okay, so all this is connected with Dak. Amari, I think, I almost think they play that out, but ultimately they they do sign him up at the end of the season. The wild card in all this is Byron Jones. I think they need to trade Byron Jones because they're not going to be able to pay him. They're not going to be able to pay him top dollar. And I think they also want to see another top dollar season out of him. He, he played excellent last year. He's a sticky cornerback. Uh, him, him and Eli Apple are very similar players. However, I think this is a situation you probably want to trade him because Lael Collins is due, and he'll get some. He'll get like a, not top dollar right tackle, but probably a little bit below that. But ultimately, you know, Byron Jones is just going to have other situations. So I tried to recoup something in, in compensation before the deadline in October. Dallas Cowboys got a lot going on. It's really going to be interesting to see which move they make first as far as the Cowboy contracts that they hand out because they got a lot of good players. Jalen Smith will be off the books, or, yeah, he'll be looking for an extension come the end of the 2020 season. It's going to be real interesting to see. Ultimately, Dak Prescott is the key here. What does Dak take? Is he going to force the issue and say, I want to be in that top five area? Or is he going to be okay taking uh, basically an Andy Dalton, a Derek Carr, um, maybe even almost like a unique contract, like a almost fully guaranteed, like a Kirk Cousins. I I, I think probably Zeke get, gets done first. I like I think Dak is the smarter move to do first. I think it's better to get the quarterback done for for several reasons, but also be, namely because it sets the tone. But I think Zeke gets done first. I think it's going to be a, a weird six year deal, a cowboy type deal, and uh, he'll hit some records, but not all of them. You may very well think I'm beating a dead horse here. However, it, it needs to be talked about because he keeps talking about it. Odell Beckham GQ article. It was a couple weeks ago. I haven't talked about it since then. How in the hell does this guy expect anyone to respect his wishes when he's just contradicting himself? He's upset that people misconstrue his words, twist his words when he means this, but they spin it as that. But then he sits down and does a GQ article with a writer, where people just like me, sitting in a basement, recording, can misconstrue his words, potentially, twist his words, potentially. It's like, Odell, if, if you don't want people to do it, don't do the interview. Don't sit down and talk about how upset you are about all the things that the, the media and the public tries to portray you as. The less you give, the less opportunity for that to happen. And I had I started to break down the entire article, and I thought about you know going through it one by one here. But one, people would get tired of that. Two, I think in summation, and probably the best thing he said was at the end of the article when the writer suggested that he would go Marshawn. Of course, Marshawn Lynch being the one that said, "I'm just here, so I won't get fined." That was at the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And he suggested to Odell, if this continues to happen, where people um, put words in your mouth or try to make you out to be something that you're not, are you just going to go, uh, 
you know, I'm just here so I won't get fined. Are you going to go Marshawn? And he said, yeah, pretty much. And to that, I clap. Thank you, Odell. I think that's the best move you can make. Because right now, the only reason you're unhappy is because of all the opportunities you're letting people to make you unhappy. You're, you're giving people ammunition, like me. I, I'm totally totally fine with people, uh, you know, non-answering all day. I have no problem with it. Tom Brady non-answers all the time. Derek Jeter non-answered all the time. Jason Witten non-answered all the time. Marshawn Lynch. I thought Marshawn Lynch was a great teammate. I thought he was excellent. He never felt the need to talk to the media. Now, he took it to the point where he said, I'm willing to, you know, have money taken away from me. That's fine. I mean, he said, I, I know the consequence, and uh, I'll pay it. Odell, if you want to do that, I think that's the best thing you could do, especially new team. New team in Cleveland, which you said it's the happiest you've ever been, and you think great things are going to come. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not going to wish anything less. I hope that does happen. I think it's going to be entertaining to watch Cleveland Browns. But if you expect to act the same way and to get new results, that's not going to happen, buddy. Teams are run a, a certain way. You know, everyone's got their own little wrinkle. Everyone's got their own slight variation. But if you expect everything to be, uh, you know, all hunky-dory with the way you've acted in the past, with the way you've been a teammate in the past, the way you've prioritized yourself in the past, it's, it's not going to happen. It may work initially. I know everything's all rosy out in Cleveland. You got Baker Mayfield. You got Sheldon uh, Richardson. You got Olivier Vernon. You got Jarvis Landry. I know it's a good team. It's going to be a very talented team. They're a left tackle away from being very scary. Hello, Trent Richardson, or Trent Williams. Call the Washington Redskins, John Dorsey. I, I, I would almost be stupid trying to get Trent Williams. But back to Odell. Odell, if you do that, I think that'd be excellent. I really do. I think you'll be much happier. I think you'll understand that, hey, I can still have a brand. Not only in Cleveland, I can still have a brand when really I don't even talk that much. Really, I don't even talk that much. If you decide, I'm not going to let the mentions get to me. I'm not going to let the, you know, 50, the 50 people in my Twitter mentions that say I suck or say I'm selfish. I'm not going to let that dictate happiness. And not only that, I'm going to understand that that's not exactly a great uh, picture of the masses. My Twitter mentions, my Instagram mentions. Odell, you know, I could have gone a lot more in depth about this GQ article. However, I think the end is probably what made... You know, it breeded some optimism for me in your corner, okay? I, I hope you do do that. I think you'd be better off, and I think you'll have a lot more success with the Cleveland Browns. Appreciate everyone listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Hit me up with your NFL questions, all right? Th training camp is going to be – it is in full swing. It's going to – games are going to be starting here soon, all right? I want your questions on – what you think is going to happen this year. Who's going to be good? Which teams? Which players? What's going to be the biggest storylines, even off the field potentially? You know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking stuff like as far as NFL protests, uh, league office, Roger Goodell, contract extensions. I'm just talking about past stuff. Tell me, what do you think is going to be a big issue with the NFL uh, and sports at large? Hit me up at Pete4C, number four, letter C. I'll answer all your questions. Fire away in those direct messages. DMs are wide open. You can build a small fort in there. Hit me up at Pete4C on all social media. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Until then, have fun. Enjoy yourself. Be smart, but have fun. Peace.